Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. Almost a century ago, there was constant rioting throughout the villages of Israel. The government decided to punish one specific village for their continual rioting by sequestering all of the livestock of that village. Their cattle and sheep were all taken. The authorities told them that they could purchase back or redeem their livestock at a fixed price. Among those people that had their animals taken was an orphan shepherd boy who had half a dozen sheep, and that's all he had in the world. Somehow, he found the money to redeem this little flock. And when he went to pick them up, the guards ridiculed him, thinking, uh, saying to him, look at all of these cattle, look at all of this livestock, and you think that your little boy voice can ring out and your specific little six to eight sheep will find you. Well, the shepherd boy knew those sheep, and they knew him. So he sang out his call, and all of a sudden, his little handful of livestock come to their shepherd. The sheep heard his voice. They separated from the other animals, and they came. They were redeemed. Um, Perhaps like me, when you hear that story, you can't help but think of Jesus' words from John chapter 10, verse 27, ringing through it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. One of the most wonderful things about Psalm chapter 23 is it describes for us the close relationship between God and His people. He is our shepherd. We are the people that He has redeemed, taken in and placed under His care. We have heard His voice. He knows us. We follow Him. One preacher through church history pointed out that there's no inspired title to Psalm chapter 23. There's no words above it that explain what's happening in this psalm. He says, and none is needed, for it records no special event, and it needs no other key than the one that every Christian finds in their own heart. When a Christian reads Psalm 23, it's more than poetry on a page. It is the life that we experience in Christ. We began our study last week by looking at the first five words of this glorious chapter. The Lord is my shepherd. And my prayer was that those words would hang like a banner over these four weeks that we unfold what it means for us that that's true as the people of God. We looked first at the Christian's confidence being rooted in the identity of who our shepherd is, God himself. Then we highlighted the Christian's comfort by meditating on this remarkable truth that the God of the universe condescended so humbly, so intimately, that he would be known by us as his people and then provide for the needs of his people. I explained how this chapter, how the rest of it, verses 2 through 6, are filled with comforts that are ours in Christ because the first words were true, the Lord is my shepherd. So this morning, we'll start to unfold what that 
means. And as we begin, may I ask you, how have you experienced the loving provision of the Good Shepherd? How have you experienced the loving provision of the Good Shepherd? Psalm 23, 1 through 3, sings to us of the loving provision of the Good Shepherd. David surveys the mercies that he has received and he traces them back to the fount of every blessing, God himself. And so after establishing this pastoral relationship between God and his people, these verses teach us to trust that our shepherd will supply our every need. No pen can match the poetry of this chapter or of these verses. And so I've entitled this sermon, I Shall Not Want. Let me encourage us to read these words not as poetry on a page, but as the great reality that we live in. These verses illustrate two realities that we experience as God's chosen people. One, the provision of our shepherd. That's the first reality. And the second is the restoration of our shepherd. We experience these things, his provision and his restoration. So that's where we're headed. Um, We'll read the entire chapter in just a moment, and then we're going to circle our attention on verses 1 through 3. Let me remind you that over these four weeks, we've encouraged our entire church to memorize Psalm chapter 23. How many of you got started on that this week? Okay. Well, listen, as a part-time professor... I'm telling you, there is a test next week, okay? And so as we keep going through the psalm, the words on the screen are going to go away. Because why? They'll be hidden in your heart. And someone's already crying about this. And look, if you need a cheat sheet, you have one provided in the Bible, okay? But we're not going to have them on the screen because we're encouraging one another to memorize this. So last week, we just looked at five words, the Lord is my shepherd. Some of you wondered, how is that a whole sermon? I think there may be 500 sermons in those words. Today, we just look at the next couple of verses, verses two and three, I shall not want. Okay, so for today, we'll have all the words on the screen. Let me invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet. Whether you follow along with the screen or from your copy of God's Word, let me encourage us to read this aloud together. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The first experience that our text illustrates is the provision of our shepherd. 
The words, I shall not want, are filled with holy confidence in the provision of God. When David says this, he doesn't mean that God will give him everything that he wants. He means that he won't lack anything he needs. That's an important distinction to make. He doesn't mean God will give him everything he wants, but that God will not allow him to lack anything he needs. Now, why does he have this kind of assurance? Because the Lord Almighty is his shepherd. The reason that he can say, I shall not want, is because David's heart trusts wholeheartedly in the faithfulness of God toward his people. Notice he doesn't say, because I am king, I shall not want. Or because of my ability, or my intelligence, or skillfulness, or ingenuity, I shall not want. That's how our culture would say this. No, none of that. David's confidence is not in his position. His assurance is not in his possessions, but wrapped up completely in who he knows is the one who watches over his life. Verse 2 paints one of the most comprehensive and vivid pictures in all the Scripture of a life that experiences the provision of God. These words have inspired countless pieces of art and poetry in prayers. They have comforted untold people through the ages as Christians have come to them again and again to be reminded to learn to trust in the Lord's comprehensive, watchful care over our lives. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Let's think of those words beginning with this remarkable image of a sheep resting in a green pasture. A man named Philip Keller, who was born and raised the son of African ministries, uh, missionaries, wrote a best-selling book in 1970 entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller grew up to be a shepherd in Africa. And he explains how to make a sheep lie down. And he says, no one can make a sheep lie down. That's how he teaches us how to do it. He says, no one can make a sheep lie down. Sheep will only lie down when they have had plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, they're not threatened by any wild animal or disturbed by biting insects. The barking of one stray dog can cause an entire herd to jump up and even run off if not stopped by an alert shepherd. This is the picture lying down, not because of the shepherd's force, but the shepherd's care. And the sheep is at rest. It's had enough food to eat. It's had water to drink. It's not fearful or thirsty or provoked by anything. This is the picture of contentment, of being safe in the provision of the shepherd. The next phrase, he leads me beside still waters. It completes this picture of a holistic, all my needs in this life being met kind of thing that David wants us to see. These are the words he's painting the picture he's painting with his words. Before we explore these still waters, let's look at how these sheep have been led here to begin with. He leads me. The good shepherd leads us. 
He does not drive us. And there is a vast difference in the two. Where, uh, where there is no open pasture land, uh, where, there is, where there are gates that mark or walls that surround, it's often that shepherds will drive their sheep with a stick. But in the open wilderness of the Holy Land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of the sheep, singing out his call, his unique call, like we saw earlier with this little orphan boy with his sheep. And notice the provision of water. What kind of waters are they? Still waters. With that word comes this idea of finding rest there. Did you know even a sheep is, if, if they're dying of thirst and they come upon a river that's rushing with rapids, they will not drink from it. Instead, they need the quiet waters to drink out of. Sheep are really high maintenance, aren't they? We've got to be careful with what we do with these metaphors because we might soon think that Christians are also high maintenance. Surely that's not true. <laughs> Look how needy these sheep are, and the shepherd meets their every need. Even if a, tr- a sheep tried to drink from a rushing river, their wool would become so waterlogged and heavy, it could pull them down into that river and they could drown. So some shepherds go ahead of their flock. They create little eddies. You ever been whitewater rafting where you kind of eddy for a few minutes, waiting for the group behind you? Well, the shepherd would dig an eddy there so that there could be a quiet pool of water for the sheep to come down and drink in. The point is that the shepherd completely, comprehensively provides for his sheep. He meets their needs. I love how Isaac Watts made these words his own. He wrote, My shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh, he makes me feed beside the living stream. What a beautiful picture. Let's, let's come out of this image, out of this imagery for a moment, and think about what God is teaching us in these verses. Like a sheep, that, like a shepherd that cares for his sheep so well, the Lord himself will supply your need. In him, we will not lack anything. What that does not mean is that we'll always have the same income, that we'll live comfortably in this life, in our financial state. It does not mean we'll live a picturesque life. We see next week that's absolutely not the case with David's life. But the basic things in life, our good God will provide. We can trust him in that. This is what our Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Psalm 23, verse 2, is for all of us who look at the future and are plagued by anxiety of where our provision might come from. Psalm 23, verse 2, is also meant for us who look at the future and think by our own skillfulness or wisdom or our own provision that we'll get through this. You see how one verse addresses the anxiety of the weak and the pride of the prideful. 
and showing our collective need and dependence upon the Lord. So what do we do with these verses? I think they are simply meant to make us lie down in the green pastures of God's promises and remember the goodness of the Lord toward us. Won't you this morning trace every blessing that God has so generously provided you back to the source of where it came from, God himself? How you are able to sing from a place of experience and honesty this morning, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, and great is the provision of the good shepherd. The second experience that this, pa- this passage illustrates is the restoration of our shepherd. We find this in verse 3. So accompanying the physical provision that God supplies, we also find his careful watch over the spiritual needs of his people. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This phrase, restores my soul, has been translated many ways over the years. The old Greek Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate both render it, He hath converted my soul. Other translations went on to say, He returneth my soul. He revives my soul. He bringeth back my soul. That's all in view. The literal translation here is, He brings me back which that carries this idea with it of a wandering sheep who has forsaken the shepherd and the flock. And it's the role of the good shepherd to go and find that lost sheep and bring it back home. A Presbyterian minister named Kenneth Bailey was also a professor, and he lived in the Middle East for the majority of his life among shepherds. And he explained Once a sheep knows that it's lost, it tries to hide under a bush or a rock and begins quivering and bleeding. Now, I know we've got a lot of youngsters in here today, so kids, look at me. That word bleeding that I just read is not spelled like you first think. It's B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G. Do you know what that word bleeding means? Well, let me ask you this. What kind of sound does a sheep make? Come on. I hear a bunch of adults saying it. Kids, where are you? Adults, wait your turn. Okay, there we go. Okay. I I feel like we're getting like 5% participation. Adults, would you please help? What sound does a sheep make? Oh, there we go. (laughs) I sound like a sick sheep for some reason. So yeah, once a sheep knows it's lost, it goes and hides under a bush or a rock, and it begins quivering and meh-ing. And the shepherd must locate it quickly, lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. Because who can hear that sound? Predators. On being found, it's usually too traumatized to walk back and must be carried back to the flock or village. Or high-maintenance sheep. In Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. There the shepherd has a hundred sheep in his flock. 
and one of them has wandered off and become lost. And then the shepherd, with a heart of compassion, chases it down, leaves the 99 and follows that one. And when he finds that one sheep, do you remember what Luke 15 says he does? He lays it across his shoulders and brings it back home, rejoicing is what Jesus says. He rejoices over finding that lost sheep. And then he gathers all of his friends and throws this party. He wants them to join in his joy of recovering this lost sheep that he has found. That's the picture of what it means when David says, He restores my soul. Dr. Watts said it like this. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. The familiar psalm version of 23 written in the 19th century is entitled, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. And this is how Henry Baker said it. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulder gently laid, in home rejoicing brought me. David knew what it was to sing, perverse and foolish, oft I strayed. He knew what it was to wander and have God come after him and find him. David experienced this kind of restoration time and time again in his life. David had been a liar, an adulterer, a murderer, but he says, God converted my soul. He returned my soul. He brings back my soul. David was gloriously restored to God. This is what our God does. In patient, covenantal love, he shepherds his people on paths of righteousness. That phrase simply means the right path. There was a 5th century translation of the Bible that translated it like this. He brings me from the wrong path to the right path. And that gets right at the idea. Why? Let's just step back and collect what we see God doing here. In all of the providing, in all of the restoration, why does he do this? The answer is right there as we come to the end of our text. For his name's sake. This is the primary motivating passion for why God does these things in the lives of his people throughout the ages. Every providence God has shown in the course of history, all that God does in the incalculable ways that he has provided for us, restored us, patiently cared for us, is all for the glory of his name. So that the nations of the world would look at the way that God the Father provides for his family. And say, surely, this is God. He does it for the glory of his own name and for our eternal good. As we find ourselves walking through these green pastures of God's word this morning, I'm sure there's not one of us who cannot respond in some way to these verses. 
First, let me speak to those of you who have been wandering your entire life. You have yet to be found by Jesus Christ. He has not yet converted you, restored you, thrown you upon his shoulders, and brought you home to be with him forever. You've not yet known the rejoicing of God over your life. And the reason why is very simple. is because that your sin has separated you from that kind of rejoicing. But I have really good news for you today. The arms of Jesus are open wide. Repent of your sin and trust on him today. Do not harden your heart. If you hear the voice of the shepherd ringing in your heart, lay down your weapons. Call upon him. He will save you. This passage also speaks to those of you who are Christians, but you are wandering from the Lord. Even right now, you are far from him, far from his presence. Perhaps you're hiding under the rock of your own sin, hiding in the place of your own shame. Perhaps you think he cannot even find you where you've gone. He can. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed or wandered, the love of God is freely available to you. He welcomes you back. The Lord has not cast us off. He has not abandoned us. In his great love, he will find you and restore you, put you back on the right path, lead you in righteousness, and go before you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Return to the Lord, O wandering sheep. And finally, for each of us who have known the provision of Christ in our lives physically, let us give praise to him for that. I often look at, uh, at people far older than anyone in this room, and I think every day of their life they have eaten and drank and been provided for. Anytime, anyone else have those thoughts when you're around really mature people? I'm happy to go alone on this. <laughs> but I just marvel at the way that God provides for us. So where we have known God's provision, let us respond with heartfelt praise. And may each of us who have known the restoration of Christ in our lives spiritually, let there be praise today in our hearts and on our lips. How thankful we are that though we are prone to wander, and Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love, he has converted our hearts, restored them, and sealed them with his love. So let us look back with thankfulness, and let us look forward with trust. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray now in his name. Father, we thank you for the ways that we have known both your provision and your restoration.
We thank you for the kindness that you've given to us, for these blessings that you have poured out on our lives. We thank you for the safety that we experience as your people, a people held in the hollow of your hand, never to be let go, a people loved and treasured and cherished, well-kept and well-cared for by you who meet our needs. And we praise you for Christ, our shepherd. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.